<clears throat> yeah, so um, I, I record because, uh, you know, people like, sometimes people can't make it and they, they want to watch it on YouTube or they'll tune in via podcast. And so I, I want to, you know, to be a blessing to other people to listen to those formats and if in the event they can't uh, join. But with that said, um, what I was saying is is the reason why our praying in the beginning is so vital and important is because it's it's an implicit recognition <clears throat> that God God is the sole source of of power, of might, of glory, of giftings, of of speech, and as Paul tells us in First Corinthians chapter two, he says, brethren. <clears throat> when I had come to you, I didn't come to you with lofty words of wisdom or eloquence of speech. He says, but I came to you. He says, I determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. He says, I came in the demonstration of the spirit and power. And that isn't to say that if you are eloquent, that it's wrong. Because Apollos, we know, and it says of him explicitly in the book of Acts, that he was a man m- uh, uh, eloquent and mighty in the scripture so eloquence in itself isn't bad in fact I like eloquence I think it's a it's a bit of dressing to the salad so to speak uh, but uh, but as as a as a basis to hope to convert the hearts of men it's it's meaningless it's it's ineffective um, no matter how eloquent a man is uh, no matter how clear a man is in his speech uh, what what's needed is the spirit of God to resurrect a dead man, and and my assumption here is that we're not dead, but that we are alive. But nevertheless, we need a stirring by the spirit of God. We need a continual stirring by His spirit, and eloquence won't Amen. accomplish that. Amen. The only thing that would accomplish that is is the Lord speaking. Through his vessels. That's that's the only way is he sends revival, as he sends his spirit to stir up our hearts. And and how many of you know we need to be reminded of these gospel truths because we we develop forgetfulness. And so um let us pray that the Lord would do just that, that he would speak to us. <clears throat> Father, we, we come before you, Lord, and I recognize, Lord, that I am a man and there's nothing that I possibly can do, Lord, to breathe upon the hearts of your people, to grant them life or to grant them a um, a, a remembrance, Lord, of, of your gospel truths, Lord, in an effective way, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need that you dwell we need for you to dwell in our midst. We need you to come among us, Lord. I pray right now in Jesus' mighty name that you would bind every demon, Lord, that you would subdue every demonic spirit that would try to distract or abort or or terminate, Lord God, uh your plans and your purposes for this meeting. God, I pray right now, I just ask that you would send your warring angels to uh, 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 ward off and, and to um, to pursue, Lord, every demonic spirit. Lord, I pray that you would have preeminence right now, Lord. And we just, uh, we, we ask, Lord, that you, your name 
would be lifted high and that you would have preeminence in this place, Lord. That no single, nothing else with uh, uh, except you would gain preeminence. That your name would be exalted high above the heavens. That your name would be exalted high above every institution. That your name would be exalted high, Lord God. And so it is your name that we worship. And as Paul says in the scriptures, to the king immortal, invisible, only wise God belong power, glory, dominion, and might forever. And so, Lord, that is our prayer that your name, the, the only king, invisible, immortal, only wise God would receive glory. Father, I pray right now that no flesh would boast in your presence, that your spirit would move and begin to convict the heart of your hearers, Lord, convict the hearts of your people, but also lift up the hearts of your people. Father, I pray, anoint my speech, anoint my words, God, so that I may speak as the very oracles of God, as a conduit. And Lord, I ask, Lord, for this message, Lord, this meeting to mean something in light of eternity. For this message to mean something in light of in light of eternity. And Father, I pray that your presence, Lord, would rest upon me. That your presence, O oh God, would rest upon me. O oh Lord, help me and, and help your people. Father, give them the grace to receive Give them the grace. Open up their hearts, Lord. Quicken, quicken your people. Like David said, quicken thou me that I may call upon your name. O Lord, quicken the conscience, quicken the soul, quicken the heart. By your Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. We pray for illumination and inspiration and edification, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So I, I um, once again, everyone, welcome. Um, we're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> And uh, the Lord was encouraging me to um, come to this very simple truth, uh, namely the gospel. And what I love about the book of Isaiah it, in this, this particular chapter is it's the most despised, if, if I can say that, despised uh, text um, among the Jewish people. Because it's been so often used by us Christians to um, serve as a basis, um, a textual basis to convince people that Jesus was prophesied about. <clears throat> because they know that there are so there's this wonderful parallel, that they know there is a precise parallel between what happened with Jesus and his life and what we read here in Isaiah chapter 53 and and they recognize that it that it's very similar and it and it's and it's parallel and so 
They don't particularly like it very much. In fact, I'm told that um, unless you're of a certain age, they don't recommend um, the Jewish boys to read it because it can be troubling to them. Um, But nevertheless, um, this is a gospel truth and this is a messianic prophecy concerning Jesus. And as we will see, it's very clear that it's our Messiah. It's it's the the Christ, the Son of the the Blessed. So this is what the word of the Lord reads, beginning at verse 1, Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So just to stop there for a minute, Isaiah is asking this question. He says, uh, who has believed our message? And I, I take that as a rhetorical question. Um, it's a question that um, recognizes that th- there's there's many who won't believe this report. There's many that won't believe this message because it's a um, as Paul talks about in First Corinthians, it's, a, it's foolishness to Greeks and it's a stumbling block to Jews. You know, Christ crucified. It's a message to the natural mind. Uh, the natural mind considers this message as foolishness. But as Paul says, <coughs> to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says uh, the gospel is something that Paul is not ashamed of because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. But without the ability, let me say this, without, uh, without the Holy Spirit regenerating your heart, the message to you is either foolishness, it's a stumbling block, or it's just absolutely irrelevant. There's no, your heart doesn't find a place for this message. But if your heart finds a place for this message, then it's because the work of, there's a working of God in your heart. And when I say that this, if this message finds a place in your heart, it doesn't mean a, a, a place in your heart for pers- purposes of academic study, but purposes of, of, um, of heartfelt need. You know that this is the only message. I remember Paul Washer said something along the lines of, um, a Christian may doubt their salvation, but one thing that, he he or she will not doubt is that Jesus himself is salvation. That that Jesus is the only way to salvation. If there's anything I doubt, I if I doubt my own sanity, if I doubt my own purity, one thing I know for certain is I can't doubt the fact that he is he is the only way to whom shall I go? It's exclusively him. And so, you know, who who believes our report? And this is this is something that we can say today, right? Who has believed our message? There's many people that we speak to sadly and they they're repelled by this message. They 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 find this message uh, a stumbling block. They consider it foolishness or maybe they say they put it on the shelf and they say, "You know what, brother? I've heard that many times and I appreciate you're you reaching out, but uh, I'm not ready. I'm still young. I still have many years. And but how many of you know that's a lie? Who are you, old man? Your life is but a vapor, right? Amen. Our lives are a vapor. It's here today, and tomorrow it's gone. But it says he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. 
<clears throat> he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his, in his appearance that we should desire him. <laughs> you know, so he, he, he was wearing some, uh, his appearance wasn't attractive, right? The text is letting us know that. And this is where if anybody was to be attracted to Jesus, it had to be for some other reason. It, it couldn't be because he was um, this uh, outstanding person that um, had a lot of money or, or who had a lot of social influence and people wanted to gather around him because... Uh, and network with him because it, it would uh, it would boost them to the, the a, a better social status. People weren't attracted to him for that reason. People weren't attracted to him because he was on the bestsellers, you know, in, in the uh, local Christian bookstores. People weren't attracted to him because he had a uh, you know a latte on a Sunday morning with ripped skinny jeans. You know that that wasn't. <laughs> That wasn't Jesus, right? In fact, Jesus was a Galilean, and and you know he, he was very he grew up around some rough, you know it was rough back then, and so there, there was no comeliness to him. The Bible says there's no, no there's nothing externally that's attractive about him. Verse three says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. You know, I'm reminded in Hebrews chapter 3 where it talks about the priest, uh, the high priest, it says that he is able to empathize with the weaknesses of those who have partaken of that same flesh and blood, right? The Bible says that um, a high priest is, is appointed by God, and, and it talks about Jesus um, being our high priest is not unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He's not unable to empathize. He's not unable to identify with those things that plague you. And whether that's pain or whether that's suffering, whether that's grief. And, and the Bible makes it known that he was a man of suffering. He was a man that was familiar with pain. He was a man that was familiar with grief. And so since he had partaken of our flesh and blood, he's able to come alongside of you and say, I know how that feels. He doesn't know how it feels to sin, but he knows how it feels to be tempted by sin. You know, he, you know one of the things I love about Jordan Peterson is he, he points out how, you know, in the, in the case of, of, of Christ's story, this is one of the greatest forms of suffering and betrayal that he could possibly endure. Now, it's not only the physical suffering he's going through. The fact that he's, he, he's betrayed and is an hour of need by those whom he has poured into, whom he is invested in, who he has entrusted, who um, he, he is uh, being betrayed by them. And they don't want to, but in an hour of weakness, they falter they they no longer continue with the lord and he furthermore he he's indicted by uh pontius pilate uh because the the jewish people the sanhedrin council are are 
uh, uh, demanding that they that they punish that he punish him, and so he's being punished for something he hasn't committed. He's being punished, uh, and he's being indicted by the state for something he hasn't committed. It's one thing if you're suffering for something you have committed, but it's an entirely different thing if you're suffering for something that others you know hate you or or have used to conspire against you to get you killed. And furthermore, it's not even those that you have considered your enemies or you have... uh, have developed hostility for, or it isn't, um, you know, people that have, that you've hated from the beginning. It's people that he had come to, to, to seek and save. It's those he has come to serve. And now they, they reject his servitude. They reject his love. They reject the gospel. And they, in effect, say, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't need you as our savior. So it's it's multiplying grief upon grief upon grief. And so Jesus, he endures. He, he is as a lamb led to the slaughters. He, he doesn't open up his mouth. <coughs> and so when you're suffering and you're being wrongfully treated, he's able to come alongside and say, I know, I know how that feels. I have been acquainted with grief. You know, one of, I was listening to a a, a, a message uh, just recently from well, once again Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about how uh, he asked the question, "What is one thing that God uh, lacks?" It's a God that knows all, is all powerful. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's not limited spatial temporally. By time or space, he's not limited in power. He's not limited in knowledge. What is one thing that the the omnipotent God lacks? The thing that the omnipotent God lacks is limitation. And so God limits himself in humanity. He he becomes a man and incarnates himself, and and in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, right. And so we as limited beings, the the more we are limited, the more suffering multiplies in our life. And so Jesus limited himself. Jehovah, Yahweh, had incarnated himself in flesh and blood and, and, and had encapsulated himself in fleshly limitation for the purpose of identification. For the purpose of atonement, for the purpose to bring forgiveness to humanity, right? And so he says, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> "Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God." So it's not that he's only able to identify with our pain. The Bible says he takes up our pain. You know, there's a lot of people probably in your life that you've experienced and every time they come around, all that they do is bring pain, right? Pain because indirectly because of all the problems in their life and they spew it all onto you or, or, or they bring you pain because they're such a toxic person and they end up hurting you. But the Bible says that he takes up our pain. 
And he bore our suffering. What suffering? You know, there's a lot of people in Hollywood today, they don't find a place in their hearts for this message because they reckon themselves to to uh, be... Uh, you know, among the elite, they, they are those who um, live in luxury. They live in palaces, so to speak. They're they're clothed in purple, so to speak, and scarlet, right? And and they don't they're not among the poor, and so they don't really they're not attracted to the gospel. They're not attracted to this message that Jesus could take up their suffering. Jesus could take up their pain. Generally speaking, there are some that have exhausted all their pleasures. And as a result of that, have come to the end of the road. And that has multiplied pain for them. I remember Ravi Zacharias said, he said, those most miserable in life are not those who've exhausted pain, but those who've exhausted pleasure. And, and, and these people are on that avenue, they're on that course of exhausting pleasure. But it says here that Jesus, He has taken up our pain and He's taken up our suffering. What suffering? The the, the most tragic suffering that a human soul could suffer is alienation from God. That is the most tragic suffering that one could could, uh, uh, receive is alienation from God, suffering from God, a punishment by God, right? Wrath from God. That's the ultimate suffering. No matter whatever it else, uh, whatever else it is that you suffer in this life, you might suffer for being a Christian. You might suffer some bodily aches. You might suffer from uh, uh, many other things. But however, it's this, uh, uh, the, the wrath of God that Jesus endures for us. And it's that suffering he had taken upon his shoulders. And this is why the Bible says in the following clause, Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And indeed, that is in fact the case, that he was punished by the Father, not for his own sin, but for your sin and my sin. Every last one of them, every time you looked up at a dirty website, every time you you sniffed a line, every time you you had sex outside of marriage, every time you looked wrongfully at someone, whether it was uh, in, in attempts to intimidate them, or whether it was with a lustful eye, or whether it's greed, or whether it's shame, all of that is what Jesus has taken upon his shoulders, and he suffered for you and I, and not for his own sin. Every last bit of it, every last drop. Jesus says this on the garden, uh, uh, and not in the garden, but he says this on the cross. He says, it is finished. The debt has been paid in full. All of it, every last bit of it, has been paid in full. The most grotesque thing you can think of, the most degrading thing that you have ever succumbed to, the most horrifying thing that you've ever done that has brought you guilt, has brought you shame, is the very thing that Jesus had gone to the cross to die for. And it's the pride of man and it's the devil's gospel that will get you to believe that your sin is greater than the blood of Jesus. That Jesus could not possibly receive you. 
But l- let me say this, and th- this I don't want to add any further guilt than what some of you are already facing, but I hope to expose the lie. <clears throat> How insulting is that to God to suggest that the blood of His very Son is insufficient to cleanse you from all sin? Why do you think the man in, in, I believe, Luke chapter 18 is received by the Lord when he smites his breast and he couldn't even look up to heaven? The Bible just says, and a tax collector being afar off smote his breast and said, Have mercy upon me, God, a sinner. But it says the self-righteous Pharisee prayed thus to himself. It says, I thank thee, O God, that I am not like other men as extortioners and adulterers and tax collectors and even like this wretched man that I'm praying next to. For I tithe all that I possess and I do this and I fast twice a week and I go to church and I read. I just recently read Your Best Life Now by Joe Osteen. I do all this, I give to my community. But it says that the man who, who couldn't even look, to, look up to heaven, it says that he went down justified, while the other did not. For whoever humbles him himself will be exalted, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. <coughs> and, that, and so no matter how severe and dark your sin is God will take a humble sinner over a, a a proud saint any day the proud he knows afar off he resists the proud but he gives grace unto the humble I believe it was Manasseh if I'm not mistaken who had even sacrificed children to Molech and he humbled himself was contrite over what he had committed and even dating as far back in the Old Testament predating the sacrifice of Jesus the Lord received him in his repentance. Uh, Brother it's a It was uh, uh, Isaiah 53 we're reading from. But it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. You know, that's pretty humbling, right? Because our speaks of of an entire collective group, but when, when you read it, it becomes personal. And you realize soon that, you know, it was for my transgressions He was pierced. And so when you're, and I'm not saying that there isn't a place to correct other people and, and, and the things that they're committing and stuff like that. However, for those that are tempted to self-righteousness, um, we're prevented from going there the moment we realize, hey, there's sins that he was pierced for and those sins were mine. It becomes very personal and you don't have too much time to be focusing on other people and what they're doing when you got your own to be confessing, right? Now, once again, I want to be even-handed here and recognize that there is a place that, you know, if you've taken out the log in your eye, you are able to see clearly to help take out a speck in your brother's eye. But it's always done in the spirit of meekness, right? But my point, though, is that he was pierced for my transgressions. For mine. Now, I don't don't know where I've read this. I, I read it just recently. 
that the nail where, where he was pierced, uh, there was a doctor uh, trying to best describe the pain that someone would potentially experience if that happened to them. And he described the, the nerve right here in the funny bone and getting pliers and, you know, uh, uh, squeezing squeezing your that that nerve as as much as you possibly could, and you know just a small bump right there. You know you feel the spring all the way up in your you know your entire forearm. You know you would call that the funny bone. But those nails pierced him all the way through for your sins, for my sins, for all of our sins. The sins that, that keep you up at night. The sins that that you don't think are too big. Because society doesn't consider them too big. But before the sight of God they are. But he was pierced for them. He was pierced for my transgressions. <clears throat> he was crushed for our iniquities. You know there's there's differences between sin and, and, and transgression and iniquity. Um, I'm told that iniquity <coughs> is, um, is more deep. It's not just a, a, a um, um, one transgression you've committed, but it's a repeated pattern. It's almost into your very DNA. Um, but nevertheless, whether it is or it isn't, the point is that he was crushed entirely. For your sins, for my sins, your iniquities, my iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so, the, his his wounds, the crushing he received, the, the piercings he had received for myself and for you, it isn't, let, let me say this, it's not only that he has... Ha, Okay, so in fact, uh, I want you to keep your finger there, and I want you to turn real quickly to Romans chapter 5. If if you can put a bookmarker or something there, Isaiah 53, because we're going to continue to read through. But I want us to take a quick look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The word of the Lord reads, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Well, go down to um, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 
For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, wait, hold on, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? <clears throat> so in verse 1, it tells us that we've been justified by faith, and as a consequence of that, we now have peace with God. That if the blood of Jesus has exempted me from God's wrath, how much more shall his resurrection grant me reconciliation to him? So his blood satisfied the wrath that was rightfully due for you and I. But the, there's still another problem is that I'm not reconciled to him in relationship. I have no peace with him. Just because I'm not your enemy doesn't mean that I'm your friend. Just because I, I, I don't have any hostility with you or we don't have a problem doesn't mean that you're not estranged to me. There's many of my neighbors, they're estranged to me. I don't have anything against them, they don't have anything against me. But I don't have a relationship with them. But see, the blood of Jesus not only exempted you from God's wrath, but his life is the very thing that joined us and reconciled to him, us with him in relationship. And this peace that we enjoy as a benefit of the death and resurrection of Jesus isn't only an experiential peace that we have when we come to prayer but it is an objective, real peace that has now been established between uh, God and man. He's no longer my enemy. I'm no longer his enemy. I'm his friend and he's for me and he isn't against me. I have objective peace that I now stand in. And the Bible describes this grace in which we stand as a secure thing. There's three postures there is a uh, uh, sitting, standing, and walking. <clears throat> well, actually, four. There's there's falling, but standing it, it assumes a, a secure and immovable position. And the Bible tells us that we're standing in this grace by faith. Amen. What what is faith essentially? It's it's the cry that says. I have no way that I can possibly pay off this debt. There's no amount of morality. There's no more amount of self-cleansing. There's no amount of meditation. There's no amount of anything that I can do as a human being to reconcile myself back to God. The only hopes of me being reconciled to Him is Him reconciling me through Him. That's the only way. Amen. Job poses this question in the ancient book that even predates the book of Genesis. He says this, he says, How can man be made just with God? It's beyond man. It's not, it doesn't find its origin with man. Man is not his own savior. You know, I've, I've seen a heart-wrenching and, and, you know, a grievous post by uh, a, an old... Um, he used to be a brother. He was in the church. And now he's post, posting satanic posts saying, you know, that he is his own Lord and Savior. And the answer is within. The answer is within? 
You mean the, the, the same, the answers within, your human nature, the answers within that? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look no further than the Holocaust in the 1940s to show us that the answer is not within. Multiple bloodbaths. And you know, the interesting thing is, the irony is this, that there is a pursuit of cleanliness that motivated this tyrant to uh, uh, to uh, massacre six million Jews, right? Put them in gas chambers, burn babies alive in the name of women's rights. I mean, how more barbaric than, can we get than to murder and massacre babies in the womb, Right? It doesn't matter how civilized we are, we're, or we claim to be, we're barbaric, we're murderous. The answer is not within. Wow. It's a lot of people. <clears throat> the answer is in Jesus Christ. The answer is in the Savior who loved me and gave his life for me. The answer is in him. He says, I am the door. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. He makes an exclusive statement referring to himself. He doesn't merely say, I have the truth. He says he is the quintessential figure. He is the embodiment. He is the incarnation. He is the essence of truth. He. Not it. Him. He is the logos. He is the eternal logic. He is love. Right? He is the answer. And the answer is not within man. And if you suppose for a minute that the answer is within man, you just claim, you just demonstrate to yourself and to others that you, in fact, do not have the answer. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth of God abides not in us. His word has no place in our hearts if that's the claim that we're making. And you know, the funny thing is this. While we will assent that Jesus is the answer, how many times do you or do I take matters into our own hands and assume our own wisdom, our own ways, our own tactics to be the solution to the problems that come in our lives when the answer is come unto him as a child, as a baby that admits, I don't know how to do this. Oh God, answer me. Oh God, come through for me. To the God who answers prayer shall all flesh come, that no flesh may boast in his presence. I love it. Prayer is the language of the poor. <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall see the kingdom of heaven, not only in the life of the come, but in the life now. The self-sufficient, self-satisfied, and the self-righteous cannot see the kingdom now. 
But nevertheless, he took up our punishment. He, he, he brought us peace. We have peace with the Father now. This is why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, it says, Who will lay any charge to God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he to condemn? No one. Christ Jesus died and more than that was raised to a life. Who will bring condemnation? It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you know, that was in the context where Paul says, all things will work together for good. And it talks about the futility of human nature and, and of the groaning of creation. It's groaning currently. Which implies a life of suffering. And nevertheless, all things will work together for good. Why? Because this holds true on my be- worst days as well as on my best. That God is for me. Why? Because Jesus brought him brought the Father and I peace together. There's no more hostility. He's not against me anymore. Let, let, let me, hopefully your heart can rejoice in this. Brothers and sisters, how grim would the truth be if I were to tell you today, if, 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 if it was said of you, brother or sister, God today is against you. He's fighting against you. He stands against you today. No, just put anybody else there. Put the devil, put uh, Putin, put Trump. I I don't care who put, just don't put God there, right? Now, if God before me, then does it really matter who stands against me? Like, and I say that seriously. In light of that reality... God isn't against me. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, on a hill called Calvary, Jesus stood in my place, and in that place, He bore all of the wrath of Almighty God. He poured out His life's blood to satisfy completely the wrath that was to be poured out upon you and upon myself. All of it. Every last bit of it. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> By his wounds we are healed. And this is where I believe, you know, some people have said that healing is in the atonement. And, and they justify that view and this scripture here, this passage. You know, in Jeremiah, the Lord talks of, of his people. It says, thy wound is incurable. Who can heal thee? He was referring there to sin. But there was also a passage where, in I believe it's in Matthew, where he heals someone physically, or he casts out a demon, one of the two. And it says, this was to fulfill the scripture where it says, he had took up our infirmities and healed us of all of our diseases. So Jesus, physical healing is in the atonement too. The reason why demons can be cast out today is because there's healing in the atonement. That's the gospel. Isaiah 53, he has come to set at liberty those who are taken captive. He has come to bind up the brokenhearted and he comes to alleviate the oppressed. 
whether it's oppression by demons or oppression by sin. He has come to bring healing. He's come to bring life. And life more abundantly. Right? So by his wounds, we are healed. And, and it's interesting because it says, it speaks of it in the present tense. We are, not will. We are. And this is where faith comes into play. See, faith is, is a now verb. It's an action, right? And, and you have to have faith now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And by it, the patriarchs and the ancients received a good report. You know, it's interesting to me that a prostitute could receive a good report by faith. When she hid the spies, remember that? She jeopardized her own life. Because she acted in faith. And we talk a lot about faith today. But faith is pretty simple. It's trust in God. So how do you have faith in the gospel? Don't trust your own righteousness. Amen. How do you have faith in the healing power of Jesus? Trust that he actually loves us enough to want to heal us. How do you have faith in, in uh, him binding up the brokenhearted? Well, here's a good way. You don't go to sex to bind up your broken heart. Right? Amen. You don't try to uh, 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 light a blunt and get high. That's... That, that's how you trust in God. You don't go to those things. You say, Lord, you're my father, and I believe that you actually care about my heart, and you love me enough to bind this up. <clears throat> we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have like sheep have gone astray. You know, <clears throat> Jesus says that it's a pretty beneficial thing if one sheep comes back to repentance, comes back to the fold. There's a statement that says... Um, Jesus leaving the 99 for the one doesn't make very much sense until you're the one. Amen. But it says we all, like sheep, have gone astray. You know, next time you're tempted to sin, just think of yourself going, bah, <laughs> and leaving the, the shepherd, bah. Because that's that's essentially what's going on. It's a an airheaded sheep that is forsaking the faithful shepherd. Have you guys seen that reel on Facebook or Instagram where there's a sheep stuck in like a little, you know, crevice, like in the dirt, and then uh, someone pulls out the sheep and then it hops once and it hops again and it gets stuck right back. <laughs> it's, it's stuck right again. How many times is Jesus doing that for you? 
How many times is, is Jesus pulling you out of that same thing that you keep going back to? You know, as Paul said this, do you despise the kindness and the forbearance of God, not knowing that it is intended to lead you to repentance? Do you despise His goodness? You, you know, see, the Lord, when He pulls you out, He intends for you to have that same attitude of heart towards someone else that has fallen into something. You know, I, I think it's a matter of heart. It doesn't mean that you don't ever correct anybody. It just means that you don't have this this ugly attitude that believes you're sin police now. You know, you're just like right right once you got right when you get out of jail, you feel like you're qualified to enforce all, okay? Let me you're like the rookie officer that's just looking to meet a quota. In fact, you're not even trying to meet a quota, you're just trigger happy, like let me write you a citation, let me write you one, let me write you one. Yo, you jaywalked, uh, you know, you're pulling everybody over, right? And it doesn't mean that you don't cite people, so to speak, but it just means that, you know, everything that we do is in love. And sometimes it's, it's the glory of a man to overlook a transgression, right? And you put that in your pocket and you save it for later. And so my point, though, is this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And I think a good point to recognize at, the, at, this, at this point is we should have a heart that asks the question, is there anybody in my life that I know that have gone astray? They're, they're, they're sheep of God, but they have gone astray for one reason or another. And they're in need for someone to help and come to them and say, brother, sister, come back, right? Come back. Sometimes people have been so beat up by the devil, they need to hear a voice of hope when they're in, the, in their sin, that God is willing to receive them back, that God really is willing to receive them back. If they would just come unto him. And this is what the word of the Lord says. He says, I will blot out your transgressions. Like it says in Micah 7.19, it says, Who's a God like him who pardons sin and has, has mercy upon our transgressions? It says that he casts our sins into the deepest sea. Who is a God like him? And it says that he delights to show mercy. Right? When we come to the text where it says, Be merciful, for as your Father is merciful. How many of you like that passage? Like We like it when we, when we want to see mercy, but when someone has wronged us and transgressed us, we show mercy with reluctance. But the Father's heart says that He shows mercy with delight. It delights His heart to show mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. It wasn't God's original intent to execute judgment upon people and see their perish, uh, see their damnation. The Bible tells us that He doesn't desire the death of the wicked, but He wills for all people to come to repentance. I don't believe this stuff that God foreordained man's fall and sin 
just so he can condemn him and then bring about a gospel of peace. Amen, somebody? Uh, unless you're a Calvinist. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Like that just that seems like games. Amen. God God is merciful. He doesn't desire for a single soul to go to hell. But we all like sheep have gone astray. Verse seven He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. And I hope that we can find practical application to this for our own lives. How many times I was telling my wife the <laughs> the other day when I was uh because we passed by like an old uh, restaurant I used to work for mm, years back, almost like a decade ago, and um, <clears throat> well I was I was uh, I was a uh, a, a waiter right, and I didn't really like waiting because. Um, I just, I hated how people acted so fake because they seen you as dollar signs, right? And so I'm being a Christian. I try to counter that by stonewalling them, like giving a straight face, like, because I'm like, don't do this because you can earn more money, right? And so I'm like, I'm like, I've never been a guy, once I, you know, gave my life to the Lord, I've never been about money, but I'm like, I'm just trying to just do my service. Like, hey, how can I help you today, right? Not trying to like butter people up and, you know, give them a plastic smile because I know that they will tip me with more money. You know what I mean? But anyways, <clears throat> there I was, it was new. I was new. It was like first week and I was still getting used to the menu and stuff like that and, you know, how to do things. And the guy, he, I guess he was much more familiar to the restaurant than myself because I'm, I'm new here and then. You know, he says something very, very disrespectful and he's like, he's, he's acting like a kid that's throwing a tantrum that he isn't getting like a toy in his McDonald's Happy Meal, right? Like he's really upset at me and he's letting me know and his wife's there and his wife's even trying to calm him down. And I remember I was like, Greg, shut up because I know if you, if you say something, you're going to say something smart. And so I had to silence my mouth and I didn't want to say anything because I'm being tested. I'm like, brother, if you only knew the Holy Ghost wasn't like bridling my tongue, I'll let you have it. You know, I'll, you know, and so I'm thinking in my head, my, my mind's running like a treadmill. I'm thinking, man, if I was in the world, I'll get your plate and smash it in your face and get up out of this restaurant because I ain't doing this no more. You know, and, and th that, and I'm like, God, just help me, help me. And I'm like, and my lips are like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> and so I walked off. And, um, but it still, it still didn't, um, it didn't appease my anger, you know. But here, here's, here's the thing, though, I, I want to say is how many of us have been in that situation? How many of us have been in that situation? Or maybe, you know, sometimes uh, 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 words do come through our teeth, do come through our mouth, and we say things that we later regret, right? 
I remember another time I was working and there was this lady that was saying something smart to me. And I was like, <laughs> oh, um, you know, about that. And, you know, and I said a smart remark. And then she's like, you know, got upset at me. And then now she's throwing stuff at my, you know, throwing verbal attacks at me. And I'm like, dang, okay, this sucks. And and it all I'm saying is it never proves to be fruitful. And you always end up getting yourself in a, in a, you know, a, an entanglement, right? Whatever uh, Will Smith's wife likes to call it, right? An entanglement. Doesn't say it's an affair, it's an entanglement. <clears throat> you know, we, we like to find different words today that, you know, to justify our sin. But nevertheless... Um, <clears throat> The, the point that I'm saying that I'm, I'm trying to make here guys without going around in circles is simply put Jesus he serves as a moral exemplar he serves as a, a model and and in this horrific time he doesn't say anything he's a lamb led to the slaughter and he doesn't open up his mouth there was no sin found in his mouth no deceit found in his mouth and you know, and and he was asked, "Are are you the king of the Jews?" Right? And then even Herod's testing him, and he doesn't say anything. Jesus could have flexed on him. He could have called a legion of angels. I mean, what would you do if you're in that position? You can call a legion of angels if you wanted to, but Jesus doesn't go that way. And that is meekness. Meekness isn't weakness. It is the bridling and the restraint of true power. Right. Some of you all know knew how to fight in the world, right? May still know how to fight today. And let me let me go let me and here's here's I want to challenge you. Just because you don't retaliate and punch someone doesn't mean that you're even necessarily operating in true meekness. Because the fact that you say, Man, back in the day I would have X, Y, and Z to you and you didn't do it in the moment, you're still not restraining fully. The fact that you still have to flex on them with your words shows that you got some area of growth. You need to even refrain from saying what you could say to them to let them know who you were, right? Don't let them know who you were. Let them think what they want to think. That's where we, that's the standard we're called to is meekness, true humility, right? It's a challenge, I know. <clears throat> We're coming to a close. Um, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. You know, isn't that an amazing thing? He gave us life. I don't know if you've ever been on the verge of death or had, you know, felt like you were about to die. Um, <clears throat> it's a scary thing because you, you, if your life is ebbing away, right? It's a scary thing. Um, 
it's 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 a terrifying thing. A lot of people say that they're not afraid to die. You know, I've watched many of Ray Comfort's videos. They ask him, are you afraid to die? And they say no. But it's a lie. The Bible tells us very clearly in Hebrews that there's a fear of death that everybody has. People don't want to die. People want to re- to save their life. This is why the gospel is so hard to receive is because people want to save their life. Right? But Jesus gave us life when we were dead in sins and trespasses. He gave his life that we may have life. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence nor was deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. It was the will of the Father to crush him. Right? Because it wasn't the will of the Father to crush you. Do you see that? You know, in Hosea, the Lord describes his unfaithful people. You know what he says? He says, how can I give thee up, O Ephraim? And yet the Bible tells up, Tells us in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Isn't that amazing? The father gives up his sinless, spotless lamb, but he doesn't give up his unfaithful, sinful, and grotesque people. He gave up his beloved son that we might become daughters and sons. Forget karma. Forget good deeds outweighing bad deeds. This is the gospel of grace. There's nothing you or I have ever done. And yet Jesus exchanges his robes for our dirty garments. His robes of royalty with our filthy and dirty garments. Hallelujah. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. See, here's the thing. If the father, if if his life was made an offering in sin, how will he see his offspring and prolong his days? If the Bible here in Isaiah 53 are, is talking about his death. Because this passage implies his resurrection. Do you see that very clearly? It talks about him seeing his own offspring and prolonging his days. But how if his life was already made an offering for sin? Because the prophet is seeing many things that the Pharisees and the rabbis did not see in his day. Many of the scribes did not see. Isaiah seen the day of the Lord. This is why Jesus says, I believe in John chapter 6, he says, thus Isaiah spake when he saw Jesus in his glory. And he was referring to Isaiah chapter 6, where it says he seen the Lord high and lifted up in his train filled the temple. That's why he could say, Abraham seen of my day and rejoice. Why do you think he was willing to sacrifice Isaac? Because Abraham, as far back then, without reading the law of Moses, without reading the Psalms, because there was none, he, he said, 
uh, he believed that God was able to bring back Isaac from the dead because he's seen Jesus and his resurrection. He's seen it by faith. Hallelujah. But we are his offspring. We are children of promise. We aren't children of Hagar. We're children of Sarah. We are his offspring. We are his people. We are his people by the Spirit. That's how we are his people. By faith, we've received the, the seed of the gospel. It's, it's no longer the Jews. God rejected them. And he attested to that by destroying their temple in 70 AD. We are the people of God. By the Spirit, we are the circumcision. The flesh profits nothing. Ethnicity profits nothing. It's all by faith, all by grace, all by Him and Him alone. Amen. I don't have to put ash on my head. I don't have to do all that stuff, right? Or whatever these other religions do. I don't have to pray to saints. I can come to God directly through Christ. It's all works-based. This is all grace-based. Where sin abound, grace does much more abound. It's all by grace. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the, trans, uh, for the transgressors. Two last points in this passage. Number one, the the... It says, um, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. That's the word in the Greek, dikaios. Uh, I know this is written in Hebrew, but in the Greek Septuagint, it's dikaios, as well as in other passages in scriptures like um, uh, Romans, I uh, know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 25. It says, uh, he was given un delivered unto death for our sins and uh, was raised alive for our justification. Uh, justification. It's dikaios. It means to forensically declare not guilty. So this is this is the heart of the gospel, and you guys have to get this. How is it that we can be made just with God? Is anybody in this group without sin? No. Not a single one. And I'm not saying that you can go ahead and live however you want. Paul says if that's your mindset, your damnation is just. But how can... We, imperfect, unholy people, be in relationship and union and communion with the living and holy and perfect God. Well, he has to view us as sinless. But it can't be viewed, we can't be viewed as sinless on our own account. It has to be on the account of another. And so when Jesus died, his blood justifies us. And it clears us as innocent. Here's a good way to remember it. Justified. As people say, just as if I've never sinned. 
The Jesus's righteousness is reckoned to your account and your sinfulness is reckoned to his account. He was punished for your sins and you're saved for his righteousness. In other words, we have swapped lives. He has sat on your executioner's seat and you get to reign with him. We swap lives with him. Right? And so, by our knowledge of him and in the gospel, we have been justified by grace, by his blood. And so this is why you don't have to waver in and out of your security of salvation as if, Oops, you know, you did the first thing and you're out of salvation. Once again, that doesn't suggest that we can live however we want. However, it is to give us a heart of assurance that says, you know what? I'm good with God. I'm good with Him. I have peace with Him. I'm justified by Him. All of my sins have been forgiven. I'm in salvation. I stand in grace right now. I stand by faith. I stand in salvation. I don't waver in it. I stand in it now. I stand by grace. Completely forgiven. The alternative is this. Be perfect and stand in your own righteousness. The only hope is that on judgment day I will be ju- I will be given entrance into heaven on a righteousness not of my own. Let let me put it this way, brothers and sisters. Let, let's suppose I locked you all in. Let's say you're. Never mind. I'm gonna add all those details. But let's just say you were locked in the Zoom and you couldn't exit out. And somehow, you know, we had these little suction cups that or like tentacles and placed on your head and uh you know we could enter into your mind and and show i can screen share everything everybody here has ever done (laughs) right i'm sure everybody would leave right everybody i mean everybody don't sit there and try to act like there ain't nothing right so i say that not to make light of sin but i say that to say this if that's how you would feel with before people, how do you think we would feel before a holy God? Now how confident do we feel that we can earn our salvation by what we do? No, God forbid. It's by His blood. It's by Him. And that blood goes to the lowest valley and sends to the highest mountain. And that blood is sufficient to cleanse us of all sin. Hallelujah. <clears throat> A last verse I want to read. Um, oh, it said that he, he made intercession for transgressors. I want, I want to bring practical application to this. If you've been saved by the gospel, and this great love wherewith he loved us, he lavished on us that we should be called children of God. My question to you, brother and sister, what transgressors are you interceding for? What transgressors are you interceding for? Last verse, Luke chapter 14. I I want to 
I hope that our hearts have relished in the gospel and this great truth and we've been reminded that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no. I get that. There's none. Not 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 0.5% condemnation. There is zero. And if there's no condemnation, that's the negative to say that we now have justification. So if we're justified, we're not condemned. And if we're not condemned, we're justified. And if we're justified, that means I'm saved. I'm in union with God. I have peace with Him. He's not against me. I won't pass unto death, but I will pass unto life. That's what it means. And so my brothers and sisters, if you believed on the gospel, if you if your hearts have embraced this, guess what? You have passed from death unto life. You are no longer abiding in condemnation. And therefore your heart should rejoice that God is your Savior. Right? But in closing, the practical application that I hope to bring because this is a wonderful truth. We should be happy. We should rejoice. Let me say this. Our lives shouldn't look dormant and dead. You should rejoice in these glorious times more than someone who has hit the lottery. Let me put it this way. You should not look more happy when you go and see buff men in tights kicking around pigskin at a football game. Yeah, just to see sweaty men pulverize each other, right? I'm not. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sports. I'm just saying, look, man, if you rejoice in that more than you rejoice in Jesus, you're backslidden. I'm just gonna say it like that. If you rejoice in that more than you rejoice in Christ, your mind is set on earthly things. Once again, I'm not being legalistic saying you can't like football, you can't play football. I'm not saying that. The same, we got to have our priorities straight here. You know what I mean? So, um, we should be happy. We should rejoice in this. And, And a part of that, I believe, is this. We want others to share in this joy. We want others to share in this joy. And Jesus gives a parable of the great banquet. He prepared it. Many people are making excuses. He says, verse 18, But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I just have, I, I have just bought a field and I must go and I see, it, I see it. Please excuse me. You know, this is what people often do when you invite them to church or you invite them to a Bible study or you invite them to prayer. They say, oh, you know, you know I, I got this going on. I got this going on. And and really, all it is, all, all they are, are excuses, right? But more than just attending a Bible study, the most important thing is coming to Christ. Jesus has offered a banquet for us, and it doesn't matter whether we have loved ones that pass away, as valid as those things are. But these things don't serve as excuses. Jesus demands complete obedience. Everything must be laid on the altar for Him. But he says this at the end. He says, Then the master told his servant, Go out, because many of the Jews didn't receive, and that those were the people that 
are typified in this parable that are serving as those that are just giving excuses. Many of the Jews like, oh, you know, this, this and that. We don't want to receive this. So he goes to the Gentiles. It says, then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. In Matthew, the same exact uh, parable is told, but it's it's a little more descriptive on those who are welcomed in. It says the blind, the deaf, the maimed, and and stuff like that. They're welcomed in. And what does it say here? It says compel them to come in. In other words, there ought to be ambition to thrust them in, to get them to come in. To come into what? The sheepfold. Come and partake of the banquet. Come and partake of the precious promises that God has made available to us through Christ. Right? And a very simple way to do that. Let your light shine before men. You pray for men. And you, you become a witness through your testimony. Through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But that means we have to get outside of our comfort zone. Um, last illustration, there was a thing that I sent in the group chat. It was by a guy named, uh, I don't even remember his name. Penn Gillette, I think his name is. I guess he's a famous guy he's kind of popular out in the secular world and he's an atheist and uh he was talking about how he did a little comedy show and there was a there was a christian who had uh told him afterward he says you know that was a really good show and he says he was talking about how he appreciated how the christian was um genuinely complimenting him it wasn't being false or wasn't being fake about it okay and so um he said that he ended that that christian ended up handing uh him a a a new testament gideon's bible as a gift and uh pendulette was saying you know um i don't believe what he believes He says, but what I appreciated about him, he says, he looked me in the eye and he began to share his faith with me. And he began to tell me, you know, what he believes. And he says, I can respect him. And he says, he says, I I still don't believe it. He says, but he says, how cruel do you have to be if you believe I'm going to go to hell? And he says, and because you don't want things to get socially awkward, you won't tell me. He says, I don't have respect for people like that as an atheist. And I was like, wow. He says, the fundamentalist Christians that actually believe what they say and are willing to proselytize and share their faith, he says, I respect more than the liberal Christians that are on the fence about things and won't tell me. And I believe that's true. And I believe he has a very good point. How cruel do we have to be if we really believe this message that 
a billion years in eternity, that men will not find an exit in hell. That they will not be a second closer to an exit than when they first began. And we have been saved from that and enjoy eternal benefits with Christ. And we don't care enough to tell lost men that they will forever be damned and condemned by God if they don't accept Christ as their Savior. I want you to think about that. This message we have, brothers and sisters, is only made possible for it to be in our lips because of the blood that was shed. Do you understand that? All all these New Testament writings would not be here if Jesus did not shed his blood. This group wouldn't be here if Jesus didn't shed his blood. This message wouldn't be on my lips if Jesus didn't shed his blood. I wouldn't be forgiven for all the damnable things that I've done in my former life if Jesus' blood was not shed for my sin. Oh man, that glorious day that that truth became real to my heart. Everything I've ever done in a moment's time was forgiven by the gracious eye of a man named Jesus. He said, neither do I condemn you Go and sin no more. But you know what? I was like that man in the tombs that was possessed with all those demons and used to cut himself and do all that stuff. You know, I wasn't suicidal, but I'm saying I was out of my mind. And they tried to lock me up. I've been locked up. I tried to be, uh, 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 people, authorities have tried to unshackle me because nobody contained me. But you know what? Just like that man, he told that, uh, uh, the man who wandered in the tombs who were possessed with the legion, he said, go now and share all the good things that God has done for you. And he went to the Decapolis. And, and that comes from the Greek word deca, which means 10. It was 10 cities that he went to. He was a fiery evangelist. He said, you know what? I used to go up in the tombs. People tried to enchain me and they couldn't contain me. And I would cut myself. You know, his testimony, I was possessed with 5,000 demons. But until a man named Jesus came and he approached me and he didn't find my situation repulsive to him. Rather, it was only an occasion for the glory of God to be demonstrated. And when I knelt at this man, Jesus, I said, oh, Jesus can you save me? Can you deliver me? Can you set me free? And he did one glorious day and he said, now go preach this message to others and let them know that he can save to the uttermost who come unto God through Christ, through the blood that was shed. Hallelujah. You can have like a mind like Nebuchadnezzar. You can have a mind like a beast. You can be a lunatic. You can be up in a psych ward. You can be a down gangbanger that has murdered people and has put work in for your set. But it doesn't matter how grotesque the sin is. It doesn't matter how warped the mind is. The blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost can come in and infiltrate and renovate this entire household that we call this body and this heart and this mind and make a glorious masterpiece out of it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonder-working power. Like the old song says, There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad that today I stand in my right mind. I'm so glad that I ain't dead, that I didn't die in my sin. I'm so glad that I I wasn't incarcerated for many years in prison and lost my hope and lost my freedom because of poor choices made. I'm glad that drugs, that the hand of sovereign hand of God and his mercy was upon me and then allow the drugs that I have taken to to ruin my mind to a point to where I, I, I couldn't think. I'm glad for the grace of Almighty God that has set my feet upon the rock to stay. He took me out of the miry clay. He took me out of that pit. He took me out of the mire. He took me out of the sin. He took me out of the pig's pen. And He set my feet upon a rock. And now I'm among those who have an inheritance among them that are sanctified. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. How many of you are glad that Jesus had mercy upon your soul and upon your life? Upon your life, he had mercy. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this great mercy. You know, I I can't help but think of this time. I, I remember... Uh, I, I remember one time I had taken all these drugs and stuff and I, I look back and I remember uh, being like infused in, with demons. I started hallucinating and, and I remember one time I punched out a bunch of people, be, uh, my own friend for no reason, like like these demons started taking control of me. And I didn't know what I, I just went on some rampage and I wasn't in control of my own body. And I look back and I, I, I look at all those crazy things and I was uh, 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 under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. But now we're in, under the influence of the Holy Ghost. We're under the influence of Almighty God to do good unto mankind. Not to bring destruction. But to bring to go around doing good. And I believe some of the greatest ways that we can do that is praying for people, do good for them, and share the glorious gospel. There's a God in heaven. He loves you. And He's willing to save you. There's this this song. We'll close with this song. uh, Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus right now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you right now. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him right now. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus right now. He will save you. Amen. He 
He will save you. Soul song, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. It says, though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I feel His peace. You know what? I, I if I if I was in a church right now, man, I'd, I'd be making an altar call right now. I'd be telling you to come forward. But you know what? I, I want to call. I want to make this virtual altar call, so to speak. You're backslidden. You're far from God. Or you know you ain't living right. I want you to I want to exhort you and urge you today to let all that go lay it at the altar say you know what Lord I'm tired of doing things my way I'm tired of doing things my way I know there's room at the cross for me yes there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Father, I just pray, God, right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage people right now to come to the cross. Father, that they would lay down their arms. They would throw up the white flag of surrender. See, I'm tired of doing things my way, Lord. I know that you've loved me and I've I've gone astray like sheep. I'm like the prodigal son that asked for my inheritance and I said, I don't want to stay home anymore. I want to go feast among the pigs and commit myself to riotous living and squander my wealth on prostitutes. But I've come thus to myself and I've realized that I'm hungry and there's servants in your household that are much better fed than I am. There's a void in my soul. There's a void in my heart. I don't like this anymore, Lord. Would you receive me? Would you accept me yet again? I'm filthy. And I've made a mess of myself. I've desecrated your name. I brought reproach to your name. I brought reproach to the gospel. Hallelujah. Lord, would you just pardon them? Would you blot out all their transgressions and sins? Would you administer your loving kindness to them, Lord, and assure them, Lord, of your forgiveness and your enduring mercy that are new every morning? Father, would you... Give them the inner witness of your Holy Spirit that it would assure them that you love them. That your love and your grace and your blood is far greater than any sin that can be committed. Woo their hearts, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Woo their hearts to the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that from this day forward that they wouldn't They wouldn't say no to you anymore. They wouldn't say no to you anymore, Lord. God, and I just pray that similarly, Lord, that we would be able to reach out with compassion 
you would reach out, Lord, in compassion and in an intercessory heart that says, yes, there's still room. <clears throat> there's room at the cross and for us to compel the people to come in. People that are dirty. People that are broken. People whose lives, Lord, have no hope or even on the verge of suicide. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. The millions have come, but help us just to reach for that one. Help us, God. That's your heart, Lord. You will for none to perish. Thank you, Father. And the Holy Spirit, His peace is among us right now. His presence is here. <clears throat> 